Hello and welcome. Before we jump into this interview, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the GoFundMe fundraiser. If you're enjoying this series, uh, if you care about our planet and sustainability and want to do something about climate change, please um, take a look at the show notes. There will be a link to the fundraiser. Anything that you'd like to give, it's much appreciated. And thank you to all that have given so far. So without further ado, let's jump in. Assalamu alaikum, my listeners. I am joined by the most beautiful man in Gilball, uh, who gets half his wins because his opponents can't stop staring at his chiseled jawline, and the other half because he cheats. Or, I mean, at least that's what I assume. Uh, ben Downden. How's it going, Ben? Hey, Mike, I'm good. So you're saying I'm the, I'm the flint of our meta. Um, definitely do keep missing. I do keep missing goal shots. So you do keep missing. There you go. <laughs> That's what it is. The beauty comes with a, a, a curse. Uh, so now, yeah, yeah. Ben, you aren't actually going to WTC this year. And to give a little insight, I did not know that until after I invited you on. But luckily, I like you. Um, you're good looking. And you went last year. Um, so it kind of works out. But uh, with that, despite the fact that you're not actually going to the WTC, you have done a lot of uh, traveling for Guild Ball. Um, partially through necessity, but also through, I imagine, desire. Um, so, talk to you know, maybe talk a little bit about your, you know, some of the places you have gone, events you've gone to, and then uh, where's your favorite place and why? Um, yeah, so I ended up traveling quite a bit this year, um, kind of by coincidence and, and kind of planned as well. Um, I decided. It'd be a good time to try and hit some of the national championships. Uh, and I had a look around where they were. I thought, you know, I've, I've never been to Sweden. Uh, I've never been to Hungary. So I decided um, to book there, you know, take a holiday and fit some guild ball in while I'm there. Uh, then it just happened that I had some work because I, I travel for work quite often. I ended up in London around the weeks, um, both the weekend of French nationals and the weekend of Spanish nationals. So for me, it seemed like a short flight over there for the weekend and, uh, and go play some guild ball. Uh, so that's four nationals, and then we've got the UAE nationals coming up in October, in case anyone hadn't heard of it, in case they hadn't seen all my posts and noise about it. So that'll be five nationals this year. Nice. Um, I've got quite a lot of ideas from visiting all the other tournaments that I'm going to incorporate into our one, so hopefully it'll be the, the biggest and the best of them. Uh, but so far, uh, Budapest was probably the city I enjoyed the most. It was just so much fun. I had a lot going for it. Um, really nice week in Budapest. Um, and for the tournament, France was the, the biggest one. It was exhausting, but it was a, a really well-run tournament. Um, lots of nice ideas, lots of nice people, a great venue. And uh, yeah, France was the biggest and the best, I think. Nice, nice. So uh, of, those, uh, of those four championships, what was, uh, what was your best placement? I was going to phrase it in a much more mean way, but I decided to be nice to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, I've got quite a few. Actually, I don't have any silver dice. I've managed to get bronze dice on tiebreakers. <laughs> oh, there you go. So um, uh, Sweden's probably my best result. I got to the final, um, unfortunately lost in the final, uh, but well done to Christoph to, uh, to taking that one down. Um, we, had a, we missed each other in uh, Spain, but we had a, a fun game afterwards as well. So it was the second time I got to play Christoph. Nice. Um, France, France was interesting. Um, maybe we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later on about playing to outs and things, but because it was the first one and I wasn't really expecting to do well, it's a, a huge tournament and just, just by a numbers game, you know, the chance of being the one person out of 96 that gets there is, uh, you need, yeah. need to be lucky and good. 
So I thought, you know, I'll just show up, see how I play and just enjoy the day. And then when you win a game and then another one and another one, it starts to feel a bit more real. So um, I wasn't expecting to do as well as I did at France. Uh, ended up in third place, I think, after tiebreakers. So France was probably, France and Sweden were the best results. Nice. Um, All right, excellent. So, and you currently live in the UAE, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, for our American listeners, and I, and I, I'm sure many people will know, but I actually legitimately have told a couple people that I was, uh, you know, recording with you and where you were from, and they were like, "Where?" So, um, for our American listeners, the UAE is a country in the Middle East, specifically in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, it's known for it, and this is, by the way, when I say it's known, this is my stereotype, but I mean, I, I think it holds largely true uh for being quite extravagant uh because you know fuck you that's they feel like it and they have the money and that's why um and something a little fact that i've i heard about a couple years well a number of years ago and i i looked it up and apparently it's kind of like in pause or they're not i don't know where the development is but there is a series of artificial islands off the coast of dubai that is in the shape of the world um, and they're called the World Islands, and they're basically planned to be filled that fill them with like, as I understand it, different kinds of luxury resorts, including some that are themed to the like quote unquote country islands that they are on. So like, there's supposed to be an Irish themed resort on the Ireland island, which is just so one of them ridiculous is, uh, has been operational for oh, a while. Yeah? Um, I, I've not been. It's on. It's on Lebanon Island, and a genuine conversation in Dubai sometimes is, "Oh, I'm going to Lebanon this weekend," and people are like the island or the country, <laughs> and it could be either. Oh my goodness, that's just amazing. Um, <laughs> other other great uh, UAE facts, and you can add to this um, because my wife did spend a, a good amount of time in uh, Abu Dhabi specifically, uh, despite the fact that you're in the desert. Right. And it's over 100 degrees all the time. It's also apparently ridiculously humid because, uh, you know, that'd be basically the vast majority of the populated part of the country is on the water. Um, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> just like I moved to a desert. But the good thing about this desert is it's dry. Uh, <laughs> it's like actually comfortable. It's 90 degrees a lot of the time, but it's it's comfortable. Um, it's not that humid. Is it not that um, I've bad? I've been to Singapore. I've been to Hong Kong. It's it's not that humid. <laughs> it has its moments. Most okay. of the time, it's fairly dry. Okay. Um, sometimes things like, you know, the fire exit doors swell up because they've soaked up all the water. But mostly, it's fine. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, so, can you share any I mean, uh, unique aspects of, of gaming and, and playing uh, you know, in the UAE, uh, it's definitely, I know I've, you know, from talking to you, there's, there's definitely some parts of it that are, are quite different from playing in America for sure. in Europe as well. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the most unique things about it is, is the community. So the majority of people living in the country, uh, are expats. So they're, they're from somewhere else. Um, and a lot of people don't necessarily stay for a long time. They might stay for a year or two. So the community's kind of come and go um i think the stereotype about being a bit extravagant um does perhaps sort of hold true that in that people tend to have a fair bit of disposable income here so it means they can jump into a hobby fairly easily so you know selling someone on how oh, you only need to buy a six-man box means 
people will just jump in and try Guild Ball without it being like a, a huge commitment. Mm -hmm. um, the downside of that is the next new and exciting game comes along, there's not really a huge cost of switching because you know people don't feel as invested in the game when they can just try the next new thing along. So it means we have to keep keep the community alive by you know having some of our hardcore and then constantly getting new people into play. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, go for it, go for it. As, it does does also mean we're a little bit behind on things like release schedules um, because of the distance and shipping and things like that. So um, while <laughs> while everyone's complaining that they don't have the you know their latest rookies or their latest boxes, um, <laughs> we're still we're still waiting for us to cross the ocean somewhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, with with Steamforge release schedules, you know you'll get it sometime uh, <laughs> sometime before you know you're middle aged. Yeah, I mean, luckily everyone's in the in the same boat here, so uh, um, we 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 play with what we've got, and there. it does mean we've still got a ton of uh, metal models still in the country, so uh, we've got a bit of a rarity on our hands. Oh, there you go. You should just eBay them all, make a <laughs> yeah. huge selling. Um, so I know I've asked you about this before, but uh, is the community and you say, and you had mentioned mostly expats. Is it still all expats other than the uh, game store owner? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we've got, I don't know the numbers now, but I think even if we look at the signups for, for UA Nationals, we've got something like 10 different nationalities or something signed up already. So uh, yeah, it's a real nice mix of people here. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we don't have too many local Emiratis playing. Yeah, they're too busy uh, with more expensive and lush hobbies, like falconing. <laughs> um. Excellent. So, since you are not going to the W, actually, well, I guess um, if you want to maybe explain why you, uh, you know, weren't able to go to the WTC this year, is it a is it a logistical issue getting a team together? Uh, just not, you know, feeling it. What's what's uh, what went down? I think the short answer is uh, is not being able to get a team together. Um, we had a few people that were interested, um, but if I'm honest. Uh, probably last year we were all as a community a little bit more hyped. Um, Guild yeah. Ball was a bit more new for us. Uh, I'd say Guild Ball's been in the UAE now for probably just over two years. So, mm -hmm. you know, that first year we're still learning and still excited to go to a big tournament. Um, I would say perhaps Guild Ball is in the the fall of its years now. Yeah. As um, a community here. Um, one of the things about people sort of moving here from other countries is they also tend to move on. So the kind of core group um, that was here sort of since the start and have grown up with Guild Ball together have now started to move on. I mean, two of the guys have moved away. Um, one of them's moving at the end of the year. So uh, I think just, you know, having that hype to go to WTC again, like as a team and to, to represent and to show that, you know, we're not just, <laughs> we're not just ruining the long shanks ratings by never playing anyone else. <laughs> yeah. I think we had more, more motivation for that last year. Um, but I am sad to be missing it. It's, it's such a fun event. Um, I think if I had to choose WTC or Steam content and only go to one of them, I would choose WTC easily. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to miss most besides me? Yeah, I mean, that was an obvious one. So that's really it. Okay. There <laughs> no, you I go. think um, having, having everyone in the same room and everything is, uh, you know, if you, if you had a 150-man tournament, it wouldn't have the same vibe as the same 150 people playing in the WTC. I think everyone, like, dressed up in their, you know, representing their team, um, all of the kind of branded merch that people bring with them and all the kind of fun ideas to represent the country uh, just makes it a lot of fun. 
Uh, I think that the evening stuff that's going on is always good. Uh, my my fondest memory of the WTC and maybe even all of Guild Ball is um, when I played your co-host Chris in the evening and we just had a ridiculous game. We had some drinks. We had so much fun. I think I cheered so loudly when Bonesaw scored that I uh, I hurt my voice and I couldn't really talk properly the next day. <laughs> it was just, just that much fun. Love it. I'm not, I, I think that might've been, and it might not be because I know Chris played a bunch of drunk games that, that night uh but that might be the uh cover poster for the for the fundraiser where i'm uh in the you, you could see chris in his australian you know he had swapped for the australian team jersey and he's you know it looks like he's in the middle of enjoying a game against someone uh who's off screen so maybe that's you while i'm in the middle of picking up a, a large uh muscular bavarian man so yeah, yeah good I'll times check out that picture <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, no, that's it's... something we should mention for anyone that, uh, <laughs> that hasn't been to WTC as well. Is if you see all these pictures of people with names on their shirt, it's probably not the same person because everyone swaps shirts by the end of the first night. So what you think people look like is probably nothing how they actually look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I didn't even I made the mistake of not buying and trying to be cheap and not buying an extra um, Team USA jersey from last year. And um, not only did I. Um, give away my one us team usa jersey i also gave away my anatomical precision podcast shirt that i had made uh i think to jason mountain and now i have two team uh team great britain jerseys um one from fraser and one from jason mountain uh vastly different sizes by the way Uh, (laughs) one quite small on me and one a little bit more roomy uh and whoa boy yeah no it's but it's a good time it's fun it's fun (laughs) i think there was a charles nurse shirt at um swedish nationals as well i'm pretty sure i spied one (laughs) oh i'm sure yeah i think that's really cool i think that the traditions the bringing everybody together i think it's that whole like uh coming together uh and i've mentioned this a, a little bit before talking to other people but um my wife is really into as like a long-term career goal, that kind of international cooperation through competition and events kind of thing. So basically like your Olympics style of uh, organization. Uh, And I think that's one of the really cool parts is when you bring all these people from different and uh, disparate cultures together and say, Hey, here's a common thing. We all like to uh, do this thing and compete against each other for fun and also drink a lot. Uh, and yeah, that just makes good memories. Yeah. And you know, we gamers can be a little bit opinionated on the internet and you just see names or handles on discord and it's, it's way harder to, you know, think, Oh, this guy's an idiot. Once you've seen them and shared a beer with them and had a chat. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, I like, I think it's, uh, especially recently it's been pretty on brand for me to make fun of uh of of england for various things and and i hope i do have some english listeners listening who will and anybody who was on team england last year any of the four i think we played all four teams no we played three of the four teams um last year i think anybody who knows that like i mean i hung out with the english guys they were and you know the i mean whether they were English or not, um, I had, you know, hung out with them, uh, for like a good percentage of the time. They were some of my favorite people. You know, I like, I love all of them. So, you know, yeah, we, on, on the internet, we can be a little bit memes and strong opinions for sure. But yeah, you know, it's all, 
We're all good people. Well, most of us are good people. Stephen Easton is not a good person. Uh, but most <laughs> of the other people are like, good. Uh, you know, a, a foreigner's guide to Great Britain. Like, if they beat you, they're probably Team Scotland. <laughs> if you beat them, they're probably Team England. <laughs> there you go. I like that. That's perfect. If they're really polite to you, regardless of what happens, that's Charles. Yeah. <laughs> all, all three players. Yeah, yeah, all of the, all three of them. All right, so uh, what teams do you think will be on the podium this year for WTC? What are your hot predictions? Are we talking uh, guilds or... Uh, no, no, WTC? no. Uh, well, you know, that's interesting. I like that. Let's do both. Let's start with teams, and then if you have some top guilds, maybe that won't be on the podium necessarily, but just will, like, perform really well. Okay. Um, I think obvious choice, US1 seems like a really... A strong team it feels like the uh what's the name of that basketball team the globetrotters kind of team <laughs> you know we've got the uh <laughs> we've got them all together um i think poland's been doing really well at the national championship run like they've been consistently ranking pretty well um all three of those guys i think the poland one team might show up quite highly mm-hmm. um and the a couple of the guys from the New Zealand team are stopping by in the UAE for our nationals on the way back, and we're going to have some fun times together. So I actually really hope they do well. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Nobody's mentioned New Zealand, I think. Spe- no, somebody might have, but yeah, they definitely haven't been the first name to come up in there. You know, they're solid. I mean, they basically they own Australia from the amount of times they have yeah. dominated their national championships. So that's a pretty good uh, resume. I think they were talking about making Team Oceania, but then it, it's still the same as the team is now. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, and what about guilds? What do you think guild-wise will be some of the guilds. top performers? Because WGC is kind of interesting because like some guilds that have really polarizing matchups or like take guilds that are a three O, you know, guilds that want to score mm-hmm. three goals. Um, over the course of a long tournament, they're actually quite hard to you know, to take down a national championship or something. Because if you're shooting, let's say a five-round tournament uh, or a six-round tournament, you're shooting, you, you've got to score 18 goals if you're planning on doing 3-0. And even at like, you know, three and four dice kicks, there's a good chance one or two of them are going to miss. Um, so to have a long run uh, makes it difficult with a 3-0 team. Whereas in a team tournament like WTC, you can you can kind of sandbag some of that by having your other two teams win. Mm-hmm. Um, so we might see a little bit more goal teams like maybe Fish, um, mm-hmm. Although fish aren't really a goal team these days, are they? With Battle Shark and uh, Corsair and Knuckles, um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Team Knuckles, Team Knuckles. Uh, if I had to pick one guild, I think I'd say Masons. It just seems like they've got tons of tools, tons of lead defenses, um, lots of options um, in their picks. Like I think they've got a really well-rounded roster, and they're one of those teams that I think you need a lot of reps to get them right, but well played um i think they can be really really strong and i think we'll see mason's teams you know played well at the tournament Mm -hmm. one thing that surprised me and and i think this is uh a little bit of a a difference between the communities and teams that they find popular but yeah i was uh mentioning i think it's ridiculous how small the union numbers are uh for wtc this year uh relative to what i think they could have been so the I think they will do really well, um, but I'm surprised that they're not more popular. Yeah, I don't know the numbers of them, but uh, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised that not more people aren't taking Union because they they suddenly appeared after the Arata when they were basically non-existent before. There are so seven Union players. 
and just to compare that, there are eight order players. Okay, that's uh, yeah, that is surprising. Order are a lot of fun though. Hey, order <laughs> are a lot of fun. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's not a thing against order. It's just it. It's the only major guild that has uh, less players than its uh, minor guild that I can see. Yeah, no, definitely is the only one that has less players than its minor guild. Um, and I think that we're seeing alchemists start to come back at WTC. I know they had a few long-time champions. But they got uh, they got ten. Yeah, so ten. Uh, you know, ten captain Midases. Unfortunately, ten captain smokes. Uh, and 10 vet catalysts, and that's all you need to know. Only nine commies, yeah. though. Somebody couldn't get theirs in the mail, <laughs> sadly. Oh, I thought uh, I thought someone chose... I thought Steve chose to drop Cammy. Oh, I did he really? That wrong. I might oh. be remembering that wrong. Well, I'll I'll talk to him about that and yell at him for that, although, I mean... I mean maybe all... he dropped Ocat. I can't remember which it was. All right, well, actually, you know what? I, I, say, I say that I could talk to him about it. I can also look. As as I do have this up here, this is wonderful radio. Steve is Scottish of some sort, right? That's what we say. We're calling him, even though he yeah. lives in, even though he lives in London. He if, didn't. If you speak to him. If, if you did call him, you'd have no doubts. <laughs> that, that's true. Yes, I have spoken to him before. Uh, no, Kami. Yeah, Kami is in his lineup, so he dropped Ocat. It looks like, yeah. Uh, poor Ocat. Uh, Poor O'Cat. Yeah, sad days. Um, so uh, I did have one topic that I wanted us to talk about. But actually, before that, um, something that I remembered you bringing up and I wanted to bring up earlier. Um, so traveling for Guild Ball was, has not, was not your first uh, traveling for games experience. Do you want to maybe um, talk just briefly about that and in many ways that game, that traveling experience was different or similar to Guild Ball? Um, yeah, I ended up taking a trip. Um, it's probably the only international tournament I'd entered. Um, actually, that's not true. I used to play Magic the Gathering and well, occasionally, um, especially being in the UK, it's easy to get to France. So I went to a few uh, international tournaments there. Um, more recently, I played Netrunner for a while competitively, um, and they had a pretty strong community out in Kuwait. Uh, flew over to meet the guys for Kuwait and play in a local tournament. Um, and that happened to be a qualifier for the World Championships in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up kind of joking with one of the guys there. He said, oh, are you going to come with us to the Worlds? And I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll consider it if I win. And uh, anyway, ended up winning the, the National Championships of Kuwait. So I was kind of committed to fly to Minnesota at that point. Um, and it's really nice traveling for a tournament because I would recommend if anyone does it, they combine it with a bit of a holiday as well. It's kind of a bit much to go a long way, just play and come home again. But it's nice to kind of see places that you've never seen before and meet people you've never met before and just play in a different environment. Mm-hmm. Like, see new places like Minnesota in the middle of the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just after fall and I was really hoping all the leaves and the nice colors and I got there and it was just stalks and dead trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the times they had, uh, I remember because I used to listen to a couple Netrunner podcasts, one of the years that they did Worlds there, it was like negative 17 degrees. Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, um, which is a lot worse than negative 17 Celsius. So, um, We were pretty lucky when we got there. Apparently it was, it was the equivalent of a heat wave. So it was about, uh, I think, like eight degrees Celsius or something when we were there. Mm. Look at that. Nice. All right. So uh, 
one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, you brought up this concept of playing to your outs um, and kind of what does this mean to you? How do you recognize what your outs are and also when you need to play to them? Yeah, I think um, probably early on in Guildball, I realized I think playing to my outs is probably one of my strengths as a player. Um, I noticed that I play much better when I'm behind. <laughs> so when I'm losing, I don't know. I tend to, I tend to focus and, uh, you know, just kind of buckle down and think, right, how am I going to get out of this situation? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I think some people tend to give up and they think, you know, I, I've lost anyway or it's not going very well. Um, we have this idea of you know people going on tilts, you know, making making mm-hmm. poor decisions because you're getting over emotional. Um, and I think one of the worst ones is if anyone says, "Oh, I've lost anyway," um, until until that hand's shaken or until that dice is rolled, like you, you haven't lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if that loss is, you know what, I've got myself into a position where I've given my opponent they're shooting three dice to win the game rather than four dice. Like if that's your out, then sometimes you've just got to rely on your opponent missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think playing to your outs is about kind of saying, oh, if, if this goes wrong for my opponent, then I can capitalize it. And it might not go wrong for them. You might still lose that game. But if you have, the worst thing is when you go, you know, I've lost this game anyway. You let your opponent take their shot. They miss and you think, oh, great. Now I can back into it. But I've got no one near the ball because I didn't count on that happening. I just figured I'd already lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely like playing to the end is is key um i think another thing i find about playing to outs is it really minimizes your decision making um when you get closer and closer towards like losing that game so when you when you feel like you're starting to lose the game you can see what your opponent's path to victory is you know when they're like oh they just need to get one more kill and they've won or they just need to shoot this goal and they've got the ball mm-hmm. so they've only got a few options to to finish that game which means you can kind of distill your options down to just a few as well to either oh i think i lost you for a, a second ben oh coming back this one's tricky this one might work out this one gives me the best odds that's the one i'll do uh-huh so you had cut out for a second there but you know um what I, th- I think I heard you saying basically was like once they're clo- once you're in the situation where you have to start playing to your outs, your decision making becomes easier, and you like you said, you can kind of focus on this is what I can do to make it as good as you know as hard as possible for my opponent, or as good as possible. For yeah, because when it's you know turn two and you have four points each, you're thinking right, how am I going to position this for the rest of the game mm-hmm. uh, whereas when you're you know it's like 10 10 or something and your opponent's got the ball you're like right they're either going to try and kill my model or score a goal here to finish it they've got one of these two models that can do it which option do i take um so it makes it a lot easier to make decisions and i think instead of getting bogged down in all the things you could do just focus on your next step which is which is not losing Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm wondering if you have uh, a good example of playing to your outs, and I can share one while you while you potentially think of it. So I know I was um, I got matched up at East Canadian Nats in one of the uh, I want to say second or third to last uh, round, so either mid rounds or, or later, but not the finals against uh, against bots against Alex bots, and. Um, you know, I had a, he definitely was, it was weird because I was playing blacksmiths randomly in that event and he definitely had more blacksmith experience as well as being, you know, playing uh, pre-nerf 
that rage. So, you know, going into it, I didn't feel a hundred percent because I wasn't, you know, super comfortable with playing. I just picked up blacksmiths for that, basically that event. Um, but I, uh, you know, the game started going and it wasn't going particularly well. A couple of, you know, something, basically it was like one of the things that happens every time I play Alex is that like, you know, something happens that, could where it could kind of swing either way and then it starts swinging towards his way and then i go to respond and like that's when i get a a, a kind of a, a low dice spike and it just you know starts snowballing but one of the things that um i kind of recognized at the end and so i took a, a a ferris goal to put me up to eight points uh even though it meant uh, i had a model that roast was in melee with that was uh, he was going to kill that model and it was going to be the game so alex was at 10 and i was at i was at four so i go and i take that goal um and basically the idea was well i could try to save that model but if i save that even if i do save that model which is not guaranteed um he then blocks my goal run and then it's 10 to 4 and maybe I play it out, but it's not, you know, like I don't see a good path for, for victory. Instead, what I did was I took the goal to get to eight. Um, you know, part of that was a little bit, I'd say almost of, you know, like spite giving up wanting to get some points, but also like afterwards I realized it was kind of playing to outs. Cause basically, um, what happened was where the ball, where he kicked the ball out, um, was in a spot that sh- if you know he was able to kill the model and finish the game at the you know the, on the next activation, but had he somehow had a negative dice spike himself and failed to kill, uh, I want to say it was Cutlass. Um, she was actually in range to uh, dodge off of uh, Roast, um, dodge off of another model, and then walk and shoot the goal for a third goal, and I would have won the game. Like chances of that happening, or and it would have been a couple crowd outs, so it would have been pretty pretty dicey but you know like better that than uh than slowly you know losing the game uh and you know just getting ground out so um that's that's a good example i have of, of where playing tier outs even if not successful at least gives you kind of like some kind of feel like you have a chance do you have any good yeah. examples um, i was just gonna say i think that's something i was thinking about when you're telling um, we've often said that like high variance teams tend to be better if you're a weaker player, like as in uh, you're playing against a stronger player because it gives you a chance for the dice to kind of do their thing and it gives you more of a chance to win when the skill gap is bigger. Mm-hmm. That's probably true when we're playing for outs, which is rather than the skill gap, if we're saying that the gap in say board position or game state is big, you're relying on dice to do their thing either you know, in your case, for Alex to roll bad and for Roast to not do what he needs to do and then for you to roll well and, and get that goal with uh, with Cutlass. So it's kind of the same as, you know, wanting to play a high-variance game mm-hmm. when you're in a stronger matchup or a weaker matchup for you. Um, when you're in a weaker position, you probably want to take a bit more variance and, and give yourself that chance. Um, so, yeah, I think in all those cases when I've played to outs, it's usually been a moment where your opponent's dice fail or your dice spike, and then it gives you a chance to kind of get back in the game. Um, The example I was going to use was actually from last year's WTC, and I still remember it. Um, It was a game, I was playing Shark into Hammer, and I got a couple of goals, but uh, Nils was doing a really great job of of killing the ball and doing what Hammer does, slowly killing models uh, turn by turn. 
And I think I was at the point where I could feel like the game was getting away from me. Uh, and Hammer comes into Shark and he probably knocks Shark down and then just kills him. But I was thinking, okay, what's the cost of this? So I counted because the cost is one momentum. And there's like maybe a 10% chance that his dice fail him and he doesn't get the knockdown. Um, but he did fail. And then Shark countered and got away. And then Shark ended up pushing Hammer off the board. Um, and Nils told me time and again, he was like, you got really lucky there. You got really lucky. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, you're absolutely right. I did get lucky. But I was gambling on that luck for only one momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like what? Yeah, what would have happened? Like, if you didn't take the counter, it wouldn't have mattered how unlucky he was. He would have still killed you. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying uh, counter everything, but like, look at what the cost is, which mm-hmm. is okay. This one momentum, how important is it to the rest of this game? If I'm losing this anyway, versus you know, what's the payoff? Like, the odds were low, but the payoff was was game changing because it's a Instead of losing two points, you know, I'm gaining two points. It changes the flow of the game, and I think ultimately that's what led to winning that game. So, yeah, if the cost is small and the payoff's big, then take it. Yeah, nice. Like it. Um, and I guess the how I guess if you had any last advice for people, how um, how should someone go about like recognizing what their outs are? Like, is there? Do you have any? tips or strategies for that um i think i would say there's a big difference between playing to win and playing not to lose Mm -hmm. uh and as we've got quite a defensive meta at the moment there's a lot of not losing going on um but there's a lot of opportunities i think where people should be taking goals when they're not and if you can see a game slowly starting to get away from you i think sometimes rather than struggling this you know this back and forth we have within the scrum or whatever to try and grind out you know who's gonna get over there sometimes just kicking that goal changes the whole flow of the game because instead of it being you know like four four when someone's got the ball now someone's on eight and you you can't then take that that next goal so it changes the whole dynamic Mm -hmm. i think uh i think we need to see a little bit more aggression in your ball oh there you go i mean i can definitely uh identify with that i i feel like a lot of games uh whether it's playing not to lose but yeah there's a lot of times where i want to be because i think naturally i tend towards being a little bit more aggressive but also i'd say like almost like pragmatically aggressive so i i'm always ready i was been playing with hunters a bunch recently and i'm always like giving the influence to eager who's holding the ball and you know killing the ball and giving her the influence to score and the goal the idea is every turn it's going to be you know what's going to happen i'm going to win the, i'm going to get enough momentum to get a lead so that the tempo's in my favor and at the bottom of the turn she's going to go in she's going to score her goal and it's going to be beautiful but then uh then people start responding to that because you know they see that and they say i don't want eager to score a goal and then i just get into this thing where it's like you know you've made it now you've made it too risky for me and now i'm scared to lose the game by uh giving you know by trying this and failing so i end up just just holding on to it and it makes me so sad what you're saying is you'd like to have some more fun playing guild ball if only your opponents yeah everybody yeah exactly i think too many people listen to vince uh vincent kirkhoff with fun being a zero sum let me get my goals i'll give you the ball back and then you can get your goals i'm gonna still try to get to 12 before you but you know Stop, stop stopping me from scoring. Bring back football. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, excellent. All right, Ben. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to shout out? Uh, people you'd like to shout out, etc. Things. Uh, just a reminder of the UAE National Championship. A lot of fun stuff planned for the weekend. Um, we're making it, like I said, you know, not just come play guild ball, but make it into a holiday. So it's going to be international players. There's going to be fun things going on. We've got a few tournaments running around it. Desert safari, falconry, all sorts of stuff. Oh, that sounds that sounds perfectly extravagant. I love it. And I doubt anyone's going to be following the Vassal tournament this weekend. What with WT coming up, but uh, just just edit this so that if I lose to you in the round three, that everyone knows that you fixed the match. And if I win, just edit it so I sound like a gracious winner. <laughs> hey, you you assume that if you win, I'm going to actually report the match. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Uh, tournament cancelled. Tournament cancelled. It's out. It's over. It's over. Yeah, beautiful. All right, Ben. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting with me, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yep. Bye.